self-hatred on appearance is a complete global epidemic. Almost 99% of people who take their clothes off in front of me for a spray tan will apologize about something on their body. Whether it's through nerves or whether it's through embarrassment or learned behavior, an apology will come. And welcome to Shameless, the pop culture podcast for smart women who love dumb stuff. Today on the show, we are joined by Jules Von Hepp, who Mish and I also like to refer to as a human ray of sunshine. Jules is a celebrity tanning expert, the founder of Tanning Juggernaut Isle of Paradise, co-host of the Jules and Sarah podcast and champion of body confidence. Mish and I first met Jules last year when we hosted Mechaland and were immediately drawn to him. He is one of the kindest, warmest, most exuberant humans we've ever ever had the pleasure of meeting through this job. Yes, Jules is a tanning expert and has tanned some of the most famous women in the world, but goodness, he is also so much more than that. Jules is a warrior for body confidence, infusing much of his ethos about loving and embracing our bodies in his Instagram feed and in his brand. A quick plot twist before we jump into this chat, I wasn't actually there. I fell ill on the morning we were due to record with Jules and because he lives in London, it was kind of impossible to reschedule. So while I had huge amounts of FOMO listening to this one back, I also enjoyed so much getting the pleasure of enjoying it as a listener. Mission Jules cover everything from his battle with an eating disorder as a young man to tanning celebrities like Kendall Jenner to the birth of his mammoth internationally stocked beauty brand, Isle of Paradise. We can't wait for you to fall in love with him as much as we did last year. Here's Jules. Jules, welcome to Shameless in Conversation. Oh my gosh, thank you for having me. I'm thrilled. I feel like it's a lifetime coming, but we only met each other in May 2019. We're like kindred spirits. But it was such a connection. It was, wasn't it? Was it was such a connection. Like, I tanned you both for Mechaland. <laughs> and the moment I met you, I was like, these girls are on my wavelength. <laughs> and I've essentially, I've just stalked you and slid into your DMs probably more than is recommended for like it. work when, associates. <laughs> whenever I see your name, well, I mean, you've seen me naked. I was thinking about this on the drive-in. I was like, how many in-conversation guests have seen me naked? Just one and it's Jules. <laughs> I didn't even buy you wine, did I? <laughs> didn't take you for dinner. It took about five minutes after meeting you. To get there. I was like, anyway, nice to meet you. Get your kit off. But I have loved meeting you and knowing you. And obviously it's hard because you live in the UK and I do not. And I wish that I could see you more regularly. That's why I'm so stoked that we can do this here today. Yay. Now, you know the question that we open every episode with because you are a listener. I am. I'm very, very grateful for your downloads. Thank you. What are you reading, watching or listening to at the moment that you would recommend to other women or to other men? I am reading, now there's two things that I'm reading. Anton Chekhov is a Russian writer. Now I know this sounds old school, but you've got to throw it back to when writing, when we didn't have TVs, when we didn't have podcasts and people had to get their entertainment from books. There is some incredible literature out there. Anton Chekhov, if you love the way that somebody writes and describes things, I'm a Virgo, I love detail. He is off the hook. I'm also reading Brene Brown and I'm having 
literally affirmation after affirmation. I'm finding myself like I never thought I'd find myself. Something that I learned the other day was people are just people. Don't get nervous about anything. It's just another human being. Isn't it so interesting that she can say things where it's so simple and true, but it sounds like revelatory when it comes out of her mouth. I'm obsessed. I'm literally obsessed. She makes life, life is so messy and complicated, but Brene Brown makes it so simple and clean and crisp. And you kind of walk away from any piece of content that she makes and you go, oh, right, I get it. I made this way more difficult in my head than I needed to. And if you need a good book to get you in the zone, I always recommend Oprah, What I Know For Sure. That book I order on Amazon for friends all the time if they're having a difficult time. So if you're listening and you're like, oh, I need some inspiration. I mean, I'm going to light your fire up, babes. But also... Oprah, I'm telling you. Why do you think you're into self-help? Is there a reason for that? Because I know how it feels to feel lost. Mm -hmm. I know how it feels to feel alone. And self-help and self-love really pulled me out of dark times. Mm -hmm. And actually, when you focus completely on you as a person and not in a selfish way, in a nourishing way... The knock-on effects that it has to your day-to-day are absolutely incredible Mm. and it definitely has saved me as a human being. I think anxious personality types are like that as well. I definitely need to check in with something that's quite nourishing and balancing and I prefer that style of content over anything else. Other types of content make me feel a bit frazzled whereas I need that real nourishing, relaxing, clarifying stuff in my life. Jules, what were you like as a child? Take me back to kidhood which isn't even a word you grew up in Yorkshire I grew so I'm born in Yorkshire in the north of England and I grew up actually in the middle of England in Nottinghamshire no No, I went to uni in Manchester see I did all this research and I'm like you moved around fucking everywhere yeah (laughs) but essentially the north of England both my parents are northern I had a very northern upbringing As a child, I had a very happy childhood. I struggled. I knew I was gay when I was like five. Really? And I think that was quite hard because knowing that you're different in a time, like I'm 33 folks, at a time when being gay was not what it is now, Mm. that was difficult. And then the teenage years is when it all started to go a little bit west for me. Yeah. Were you one of those kids where your parents just knew you were gay? It never had to be a conversation or did you have to come out? My coming out, oh God, my coming out is such a lull. I wish I had that dramatic sit down, mum, dad, I'm gay. What actually happened was we were in a pizza restaurant and these two girls walked past and my dad turned to my brother and I and said, oh, I bet you'd like that, boys. And my brother went, yeah. And I went, ew. (laughs) I was like, look at her shoes. (laughs) And then dad was like, okay, we know what that means. And that literally was it. How old were you? I was, oh, I was 17. Okay, so talk to me about that teen phase. What went west or what went wrong? I struggled in my teenage years because I went to a very good boys' school within the UK that fed into being a doctor, being a lawyer. It was all around careers that were very obvious careers to go into. I was totally into clothes. I started wearing makeup when I was 17. But I went down the route of self-harm very much. Got very suicidal when I was 17, 18. Um, Really struggled making friends. Felt very... I felt stupid for most of my teenage years. Why was that? Because I was at a very elitist school. And at that school, if if you are the best then you, are, you will achieve. Mm. But if you're anything else, you're worthless. I didn't realise that I could have gone to a mixed school and done... Like, my school 
it didn't even offer cooking lessons because it believed that that wasn't for boys. Oh. Me at that school. I mean, I'm a spray tanner and I love baby pink. Like, I was totally in the wrong lane. You were stifled. I was stifled. I was lost. And luckily, I had amazing friends that really helped me through that time. And then I left school, went to university, and that's when the wings came out. Well, that's when you began interning at a fashion agency. Yes. Is that I, right? Yes. I interned at a fashion agency in London. I did fashion at university. Loved clothes, loved fashion, never really realized that the beauty industry existed mm. because social media was not a thing. It wasn't talked about. Yeah, everyone washed their hair and yeah, you put moisturizer on. But there was no YouTubers teaching us about beauty. There was no... Yeah education around beauty and if your school's not even offering cooking classes they're not exactly going to be like here's how you apply like bronzer and lip gloss press your eye cream boys (laughs) no it didn't exist so the fashion internship it went okay but you started seeing things I think it was a Calvin Klein show was it where you saw someone instruct a model to go vomit before the show yes very true it was for a launch of Calvin underwear and I was at the time I was really suffering with anorexia and Working in a fashion agency, I was totally made to believe that my appearance defined who I was. And that was very much at my darkest time. I felt very alone then. And then standing on a shoot and hearing someone who was very high up in the fashion industry tell a girl who must have been about 17 to go to the bathroom and throw up before a show. And seeing this girl walk away and start crying, it was scarring it was a very dark time and I knocked on the door and I said are you okay and she was just floods and floods and floods of tears and she was like I have to do this and I was like no you don't you literally don't you just say that you have and don't do it and she was like okay and we I had a conversation with her and then she left I think her booker came and I didn't see her again but it was just that was there are parts of this industry that are dark and that was one of those moments where I was like oh my gosh and I think that's when I knew I didn't really want to work in that side of the fashion industry. I think that's something Zara and I have really observed in that we're not even really in either industry. We report on them or we give analysis on both, but from the very little contact we've had with the fashion industry, it seems to be a very different vibe to what the beauty industry is. We've always felt very welcome in the beauty industry. Everyone's lovely and gorgeous and warm. The fashion industry feels very insular in that you're not necessarily welcome there. It's quite like an in-committee. Did you feel that? I definitely felt that back then. I don't know if it's changed now. I Mm. haven't worked really in that fashion world for a long time. And I've worked backstage in beauty at Paris, Milan, New York and London Fashion Weeks. It's nothing. Nothing. So not successful. And I've seen both sides of the whole fashion world. Mm. I love the beauty industry because it's much more you can sit with us. It is about a look and it is about that finish and it definitely was back in the day. But I love that beauty really embraces the self and who you are as an individual. Talk to me about fake tan and tanning. What was the love story there? How did it start? Tanning? I am introduced now and credited in social and in magazine interviews as a globally renowned celebrity spray tanner. You are. I've got the names. Wait, Blake Lively, Kate Moss, Kendall Jenner. Who else? Sienna Miller. Sienna Miller. Lily James. That's crazy. When you meet these people, are you like, what is my life? It's, listen, I didn't fill out a form and apply for this job it is a job that completely found me you don't wake up one day and go you know what I want to be a celebrity spray tanner (laughs) it's just not there what I fell in love with 
was the vulnerability that my clients had when they got naked and I was alone with them and I knew that what I was going to do was going to make them, yes, look glowing and golden, but Mm. they they were going to feel confident in their own body. I met a facialist called Nicola Joss. Now, Nicola is... She created an inside-out facial, so she goes in the mouth and massages the <gasps> face that one. up. I've yes. seen that on social media. Nicola has clients like Julia Roberts, Margot Robbie, Sandra Bullock. Google her name. That is who trained me in tan and wow. who said to me, I think you've got what it takes to be a spray tanner. And at the time, I was like, are you kidding me? I have a degree. Like, you know, I had all these issues from school about being a lawyer, being a banker, etc. I was like, spray tan, really? But I totally fell in love with that confidence that it gave people. I then met a makeup artist who, Natalia Nair, she was doing the makeup on The X Factor. And they always say in the industry, there is that break. And this was it for me. And she said... I'm doing the makeup on The X Factor. Would you be interested in doing the tans? I, at the time, knew nothing. I made some serious (laughs) errors on that show. And at the time, that was the biggest TV show in the UK. But that was the time that Little Mix won. And I watched Little Mix win The X Factor and start to achieve their dream. And I was like, you know what? I'm just going to start to achieve mine. If something makes me happy... I'm just going to keep doing it. And tanning is making me happy. I didn't know it was a dream. I didn't know that it was a life path that I was supposed to do. But it felt good. I enjoyed going to work. And I thought, you know what? I'm just going to keep doing this. I then started touring with Little Mix after that. And then your name gets passed around as somebody who gives good tans, who isn't a queen, who just literally delivers time and time and time again. And then Dancing with the Stars in the UK got in touch. They said our whole show is known about orange tan Mm. and that's all people are writing about and we hear that you are the one that gives gorgeous healthy looking tan and I did that for three years and when you do a show like that it is back to back skin week on week and I learned everything that I needed to know about self-tan on that show from there I was picking up Hollywood clients because an agent would know me from another talent that they've got on Strictly Isn't it crazy how one door leads to another? It just constantly keeps opening and the web builds and you don't even realize. And I say this to people all the time. You're already on your journey. Mm. You're on it and you don't think you're on it. But whatever you're doing now is going to massively set the foundations for later life. Mm. And then it started to just happen. And I became this celebrity spray tanner. And then I worked on The Crown. I just cannot believe how much success you managed to build from your momentum. And part of that's going to be luck, naturally. But I do want to talk to you for a bit about what of it isn't luck. What did you do with each person you met, each new client, each new agent that meant that you were recommended? I think there are a lot of people listening to this who go, okay, I might get one opportunity, but how can I build that reputation for myself? What is important to you when you meet someone new that you leave an impression on them? Because you definitely left an impression on Zara and I, and I can't say that for everyone in the industry that I've met. So what is it that's important to you? When people ask me, well, what makes you the best spray tanner in the world? The answer that I always give is, it's like, what makes a baker the best baker in the world? You can be given all the ingredients. I was given all the tan, the gun, the tent. Mm -hmm. It's all there. But those products, those bits of kit don't necessarily make you the best. Mm -hmm. What makes you the best is the whole package. So the journey from start to finish. So... 
I always make sure that I am the same consistent person whoever I work with. I am the same when I'm around Kate Moss as I am when I'm around clients that aren't in the public eye. The moment somebody opens the door, I am on your level straight Mm -hmm. away and I connect with you. It's about listening to people. It's about listening to what people want, whether you're doing whatever job you're doing. If you're working in an office, whether you're a baker, if you're doing sport therapy, listen to the people that you work with. Knowledge speaks, wisdom listens. You have to completely absorb what someone else is saying. And from that, that's when you give good service. Mm -hmm. So someone might say, I'm a really busy mum. I've got so much going on. I just want to hide stress. I want to feel better. And I'd listen to how their skin was. I'd ask them about product. And then I'd know how to give a great tan. Mm -hmm. And checking in with someone afterwards, after I've left, how's your tan today? How are you doing? Like, is everything okay? Like, and just that connection that you have with someone hugely impacts. And once someone realizes that you do what you say you're going to do and also you deliver what you say you're going to do and you like deliver it in a very positive way they will book you again I say mm-hmm. this to my assistants it's okay if you if you fuck up if you make a mistake all that somebody wants to know is that you're cool on the team and somebody wants you on that team and you'll get booked and booked and booked it's also an incredibly vulnerable experience to go see a stranger and stand in front of them mostly naked and I wonder if your own experiences or battles with poor body image have contributed to how comfortable you make other people feel and that you know what it's like to be vulnerable and to feel maybe a bit blur about your own body and that when women come to you, you make them feel so secure and so beautiful from the get-go. Is that something you're conscious of? Definitely. I know how it feels to look in front of the mirror and absolutely hate how you look. I know that to feel and I've been to the bottom Mm. I know how it feels to stand and bitch about your thighs and to grab bits of your body and be like oh I just wish that wasn't there for me spray tanning totally opened my eyes to the fact that self-hatred on appearance is a complete global epidemic almost 99% of people who take their clothes off in front of me for a spray tan will apologize about something on their body. Whether it's through nerves or whether it's through embarrassment or learned behavior, an apology will come. Mm. And at first I was like, is this a thing? Am I actually noticing that this is happening? It was always, I'm sorry for my thighs. I'm sorry for my saggy boobs. Oh, my hair's really thin. Don't look at my feet. They're awful. Oh, my skin's really bad. And I... When you're a spray tanner, I deal with naked bodies. So the makeup comes off, the designer handbag goes down, the shoes come off. I put your hair up in a little towel turban, paper pants or no paper pants. And I literally see you. Did you make me a cup of tea when you walked in? Mm -hmm. Are you happy? Are you warm? Are you kind? Are you insecure? Are you nervous? That is what makes you a total human being, not your body. Mm -hmm. And Although I was working with the body and although I still work with bodies, you're not defined by what your body is. That's just a part of you. Mm. And I realized that your body is just a canvas to play with. It's the vessel that's taking you through this life. It's not necessarily or at all really how you are defined. Mm. And once I started to realize that, I realized that people weren't coming to me just for a tan. They were coming to feel completely better about themselves. I realized that the energy and the positivity that I was giving out not only through a spray tan, but also through listening, through caring, through being kind, was having this huge ripple effect into the overall mood. And that's where the real trick is. And that's where we all need to improve in our day-to-day and not just comment on 
oh, I love your eyebrows. Mm. I love your dress. Do you think somebody, when you leave the room, and I, somebody said this to me years ago, and I realized that I totally thought it about my clients. Do you think someone, when you leave the room, says, she has great lashes? No. no. <laughs> they say, oh, my God, she's so funny. She's so kind. I love her energy. I love that personality. And that's how I felt with my clients. Yeah. And that's how they felt with me. It's that classic thing of you remember how someone makes you feel. You don't remember anything else about them, really. It's the impression they left on you and the energy that they put into a room, right? It's so interesting to me that you took this messaging and you turned it into Isle of Paradise. I wonder, were you always entrepreneurial? We always hear these stories of business people who are like, I had lemonade stands when I was eight and I made $100 and all this other shit. And I listen to stuff like that and I'm like, I used to kind of like make magazines or do home videos or I used to want to be a journalist, but never thought of making my own business. What was it for you? Did you want to create a tan brand or did it just happen organically? I'm always super honest about this. I never wanted a beauty brand. I have worked with every type of brand possible and it just never really interested me at all. It actually was... I realized that it was my duty to do this. I was already mixing the products in my kit backstage. Isle of Paradise, if you haven't seen it, is the world's only color corrective self-tan. The reason it's color corrective is literally because I had a career in spray tanning within session work, within the beauty industry, and I had to mix color corrective makeup with tan to create a finish that was right. Mm. I'm a Virgo, I'm a perfectionist. I had a mum wagon to put all my products in when I was doing shoots. And I realized that if I'm having to mix products backstage for campaign shoots to create tan that looked like skin, that was brightening the complexion, hiding redness, cancelling orange tones, if I had to mix these products and they weren't available on the market, then what the hell were people <laughs> using at home? This, I was like, oh my gosh. And... That was my light bulb moment when I realized that if I didn't do this and if I didn't push myself and step up, then tanning would stay the same. This industry that I loved that was giving confidence and was giving life to people would just stay the same old brown bottle stagnant industry that was the same body type, the same messaging, the smell, the smell, everything that you think you knew about tanning, throw it in the bin and come on over to the Isle of Paradise because this is the tanning revolution and it's all about yourself and embracing you. Mm. The reason Isle of Paradise is called Isle of Paradise is it is a mental state of mind that you take yourself to. There is a moment if you use tan, if you don't use tan, where you look in front of the mirror and you might be naked, you might have your clothes on after you've applied your tan and you go, oh my God, that's better. I feel like me again. I feel more confident. And you leave the house feeling like you. I know a spray tan is not going to change the world. I know that bottles of fake tan are not going to change the world. But if you feel more confident and if you like how you look naked, then you might change your world for the better. And that is what this is all about. Coming up after the break, how Jules went from having the idea for the brand to actually getting the wheels in motion to get it off the ground. But first, a word from our sponsor. Talk to me about going from having an idea, which is an incredible one, but actually bringing it to fruition because they're two very different things Mm. and it can be very, very tricky trying to bring this to life. And I imagine with any beauty brand, it seems like you have to go through so many different formulations and trials to get where you want to go. 
what were the hurdles that came about oh during that God. time? Because <laughs> that's Correct. what we don't see. Yeah. We all see the end product. We're like, it's amazing. The bottles are beautiful. The product's great. It smells awesome. It lasts really long. But to get to that point is insane. So when you're creating a beauty brand, it's a lot of throwing spaghetti at the cupboard and seeing what <laughs> sticks. Um, I knew that I wanted it to be color correcting and I knew that I wanted, and I'm sure we'll get onto this, the messaging and the body positivity. Mm-hmm. But the way that the bottles are designed, the way that you have to put things in stability. And even though you might have the best idea possible, actually, when you put it in the bottle and you leave it alone on a shelf while it passes stability, which is around six months. Really? All sorts can go on. It's very sciencey, <laughs> And I, look, I'm going to say I look great in a lab coat. So it really worked for me. <laughs> but there's also things like when we first developed it, it was Isle of Paradise by Jules Von Hepp. Mm-hmm. And the bottles were like that for quite a while. And I had this epiphany of saying, you know, it's not about, this isn't about me. This actually has nothing to do with me. Although it's my career in the bottle, it's not about me. There's also moments where you, I literally thought, oh my God, I've got 10 years in the industry experience. I've worked with every fashion designer. I've worked with every big makeup artist, all the celebrities. They all follow me on social. They all know who I am. If this doesn't work and if this goes wrong, I'm going to have to retrain. And I had moments where I'd stand in front of the mirror and just stare at myself and go, what are you going to do? Like, literally, what am I going to do? Midwife was in there. Teacher was in there. Llama farmer. It was all... You'd be a great midwife. Not that I want you to do it because I love what you're doing right now, but you would be a good midwife. It's definitely a backup career. And I have (laughs) huge respect for anyone in the nursing industry. It's so, oh my God, Mm. what givers. But the fear as well that comes with starting your own thing. I mean, I'm not going to compare Shameless to Isle of Paradise because it's not the same level or scope and we don't have products. But going out on your own and trying something is so friggin' scary. How did you move through that fear? I knew that I wanted my life to change and people fear change, but actually change breeds opportunity and bring so much new energy I also podcast which is why you and I geek out Mm -hmm. so much about podcasting and I know the feeling of when you start something whatever it is that you're going to do we get nervous about what our peers think and we create scenarios in our head of people bitching about what we're doing Mm. that doesn't happen and if it does happen it comes from a place of jealousy creating content creating a product creating a brand opening a store doing anything that is built off your own back is scary and it's hard work but when you do it and it works and it keeps going you could never go back. Mm. I bet you couldn't go back to being a journalist. No, which is why I get so terrified. Zara and I talk about this to be like, what the hell are we going to do if this doesn't work or it falls over tomorrow? Which is the funny thing that surprised me that the bigger the podcast has got or the bigger the business has got, the more fear I have where I'm like, shit, now it's a thing. What happens if it dies tomorrow? Whereas in that very early phase when we were creating it, I had the fear of what people thought, but I was kind of like, oh, we'll just have a go. And if it works, it works. And then once it's worked, it's like, shit, I need to keep make it working. Well, I think as well, the bigger things get, the more cult following you get and the more you spread the message and your audience Mm. grows. 
And the thing that I always say to myself and I say to my business partners or any of my friends who do what we do or anyone actually who thinks like it's all about your customer. It's all about the end result. It's all about the people who use or listen or experience your product. It's got nothing to do with you, nothing to do with your circle. It's all about making something that really positively impacts somebody else's life. And if you keep doing that, it's going to keep working. One quote that I really love from you, you did an interview with friend of the show, Gemma Watts. Shout out to Gemma because I know she will be listening. She's the best. You did an interview with her on Glow Journal last year and you said, when it comes to Isle of Paradise, I'm not swimming the same way as the other fish. No way. What did you mean by that? I am not about orange looking tan. I'm not about tanning for anybody else. For me, self-tan is about how you feel when you look in the mirror. It's not about looking sexy. It's not about looking like your hottest self to attract somebody else, which is where I think other places go a little bit mm-hmm. west. Also, if you haven't seen Isle of Paradise's campaigns, we're all about body positivity. And this is the root of my beliefs. When you create a brand, there is a really great moment that I hope one day I will get again, where you can put all your energy into something and all your experience. And you can say, actually, I want it to be like this. Mm. I didn't want the conventional tanning campaigns of the same model types and the same shots on the beach, by the pool, etc., to happen because that wasn't real life for me and it wasn't a representation of who I was seeing in my tanning booth. Mm. When you're a spray tanner, I stare at naked bodies for a living. I've seen every type of body. I've seen every skin condition. I've seen disabilities. I've seen the lot. That is what tanning is. It's real life. And I said, I just want to represent my clients. I want to represent the people who use tan and we don't retouch. There's lots of retouching. There's lots of glossiness that goes on in the beauty industry. And I've been on set with big, big celebrities. And I've seen, I've seen their body. I've tanned their body. I've been moisturizing thighs to add a little bit of sheen onto <laughs> right the skin. Right up in there. <laughs> yeah, right on in there. And then I see the images flashing up on the monitor. Looks gorgeous. Great. And then six months later that campaign goes past me on a bus in London or is in a magazine while I'm in the doctor's surgery, etc. She doesn't look like she did on the day. Wow. So disheartening to see that. As somebody who prides themselves on honesty and truthfulness, I was part of an industry that was lying to consumers and I did not feel good about that. And so I knew that when Isle of Paradise started... I just wanted to change it. I wanted to end that lie and just say, you know what? We do have wrinkles. We do have cellulite. We do have ingrowing hairs. That is all good. That's real life. If you're buying a product, you should feel like you're buying something that's going to work for you, not to make you look like something that you won't achieve because that person doesn't look like that because they were airbrushed. I think what I've so loved about Isle of Paradise's marketing campaigns as well is that inclusivity and diversity are so imbued in everything that you do it's not like it was a trend or that other brands started doing it and you're like oh crap let's include some different women in our shoots it's been there since day one was that purposeful that from day one you're just like this is just natural to me like I'm just going to show the women that come in and that I see because and I really encourage any listeners to actually go look on Isle of Paradise's Instagram page because the difference in ability, the difference in body size, the difference in skin tones and cultures even is really impressive. And does it frustrate you to see other brands kind of rely on this tokenistic approach to diversity? Oh my gosh, you wouldn't believe. Body positivity was not a thing when Isle of Paradise first launched. And I just want to like state that from the get go that 
I've done amazing things for the beauty industry and I'm trying to change the way that it is communicating to customers. Mm. There is a massive, massive way to go. Even while I've been here in Australia, I've been walking past windows and I'm like, I can't, who is booking these campaigns? Who is shooting this? Who is saying that that is okay for those images to look like this? She's clearly retouched. There is no diversity in there. And what amazes me, especially about this time that I've had in Australia, everyone feels hungry for diversity, yet for some fucking reason, brands are not communicating it back. Mm. I don't get it. Mm. And people need to wake up and say, I don't, like, if a company that you love is not representing diversity, DM them, tell them, stop buying their products because then they'll take note. It's so transparent as well. I feel like you can just, companies that do it for tokenistic purposes are just, they just reek like you can see in all of their campaigns that oh we'll put one woman of color in there or we'll put one woman who's slightly plus box size ticking. yeah it's box ticking and i can't even imagine i mean we've done other interviews with women before who have said it's incredibly frustrating to be asked to come into those type of campaigns because mm. you want to be represented and mm. you want young women to see mm. themselves in campaigns and kind of look up to you and think okay maybe i will be included but at the same time it's like you don't actually want me you don't know who i am you just want to tick a box and I can't believe that we're still in this place in Australia. Do you think Australia is more regressive when it comes to this stuff than the UK? Yes, I do in all honesty. I don't think it wants to be. Mm. I think I can't wait. I cast for Isle of Paradise campaigns a lot of the time on personality and ability and belief. So when we did our Get Body Posse campaign, Danielle Pisa, who is one of my friends who's a trained dancer and has an athletic body and is that traditional body that we've seen for so many years, was in that campaign because she's had body hang-ups. Like Danielle was given, she was a backing dancer on The X Factor and was always given bras that didn't fit her and people always said, it's okay because she's skinny, it's fine. Mm. She was like, my boobs would fall out on national television and no one would care. I cast her for that and I can't wait until the point comes when we're cast on our abilities and our successions. I'm a white male. At the moment, like, I've had it so many times said to me, like, yeah, we just decided to go in a different direction. It was down to something completely on my look. Mm. And actually, I can't wait for it to not be about sexuality, for it to not be about our appearance or our ability, but about what we've achieved and what we believe in as individuals. Mm. Hopefully, that is how things will be cast in the future. Mm. Another real talking point at the moment in Australia, and I spoke to you briefly about this before we jumped on the mic, is the idea of fake tan misuse, that some really prominent Australian fake tan brands are taking it too far, and when they're tanning their models, it's making them look almost ethnically ambiguous. What's the role that you think fake tan should play? Do you think that it should be to that level where women are starting to look like a different ethnicity? I don't even need to answer. I think you will know my honest answer regardless. Tan for me, is designed to make you look like you've been on vacation. Mm. It's to give you the benefits of a vacation glow. So it's to hide redness, it's to cancel out fatigue, it's to make you look like you've had a really great week away. Mm. You should always look like yourself. So it's just about enhancement. My personal belief is tan should look like the best version of yourself. Earlier on, you touched on the real low points that you've hit with body image in the past. And I want to explore that with you. Mm. When you were 18 and developed what sounded like an eating disorder, you said anorexia. What was that? How did that come about? And what were the lowest point? If you look back at that time of your life, what was the lowest day? Oh, if, if you've ever had an eating disorder, you will understand that there's no one day and it comes and goes and you can't 
you can't get rid of it, mm-hmm. I believe. I started to develop it when I started university and was making friends who I thought were out of my league. Which sounds crazy what even saying that now. That? Because I came from, I thought they were so cool. They dressed uh. so nicely. I'd never had friends like that before. And I thought, I need to look a certain way to be friends with these people. These people are still my friends now and they would never, ever. They'd probably be horrified that you felt that way. No, and it, I just, you start this weird torment with yourself internally of saying, I'm not good enough. I'm not good enough. And I had moments where just standing in front of the mirror grabbing my body and being so horrible to it and weighing myself four times a day and not leaving the house unless I drank x amount of coffees making sure that I was cheating and skipping meals it's it was just so it was a dark dark time and Mm. eating disorders are very they're very lonely and you are on your own but it takes time and once I realized that actually people were hanging out with me because I'm fun and I'm kind and I'm a good person and I'm not just about my body Mm. that's when it really changed for me diet culture is such an odd place and for me I think a very strange part of our world aiming to get to goal weight and being led to believe that goal weight will make you happy is absolute bullshit Mm -hmm. when you get there I promise you you will be no happier than you were to begin with. It doesn't breed happiness. All it breeds is self-hatred even more. Oh, well, I'm here. I've got here. I've worked this hard. I'm working out X amount of times a week. I'm eating this and I'm still not happy. Mm. What makes you happy in life is what you actually experience and what your body allows you to experience. So for me, it's nature. Being outdoors, swimming, being around, like dancing stupidly in my kitchen. You are a great dancer, by the way. It makes me very happy. Great I, is a loose use of the word. I mean, great in a way where you look so happy as you do it. Like you look so beyond joyful when you dance. But that, my body allows me to dance and mm. that's a great part of life. And I call it feeding your happy. If you keep feeding your happy, keep bringing in what makes you happy day to day, that will bring you joy. You are not defined by the number on the scales. I read an Instagram caption from you. I think it was a few months ago now, but you said you felt like you had almost wasted some time of your life, that you spent so much of your time not feeling good about yourself. I have the quote here. I spent most of my life hating my body and what a waste of time that was. All that time saying mean things to myself and what did it achieve? More negativity, more sadness. How do you now feel about your body and what are the main things that you do to keep yourself in check? Because as you said, it's not just like a one and done thing that you fully recover. It's a lifelong battle against your mind sometimes. Body confidence is not something that you wake up with one day and, you know, a fairy Brenda comes in and she's like, here you go. Here's the gift of body (laughs) confidence. It's not going to happen. We are on a journey and the journey you have to work on every single day. And sometimes you're going to have great days. Other days you're going to have, I call it a wobble, Mm -hmm. physical or mental. I don't look back on any of my life. I don't regret anything because you wouldn't be where you are today without all of the hot coals that you've had to walk over to get here. So I know that those moments alone in front of the mirror would... I wouldn't be where I am really speaking positively about body confidence without those moments. How do you reprogram yourself towards self-love? Because it sounds easy and it sounds great, but actually reprogramming it seems difficult. My podcast co-host, Sarah hit the nail on the head when she described 
starting your body positive and body confident journey it is turning the biggest ship around in the ocean it's gonna take ages there's no way you can just three point turn and back round you go every little thing that you do will have such a positive impact when you stand in front of the mirror don't focus on the negative don't say i hate my insert body part say i love my eyes love my eyes I hate my love handles I really do I don't like them but that's just my genetic composition Mm. I love my eyes and I'm really grateful that I've got good eyes Mm. and I keep saying that to myself I say nice things to myself I I give myself a hug if I feel down and I just remind myself that this is just today and tomorrow is going to be a new day exercise hugely helps and I don't mean exercising and doing hit classes and getting on the scales and measuring that's not what I'm talking about worse no offense to anyone who loves them I believe that exercise shows you that you can have fun with your body. It's, I describe it like, you know when you take a dog for a walk and you let it off the leash and the dog runs <laughs> and it looks so happy and its tongue's <laughs> flapping about? That's what happens when your body is exercising. It's just like it's getting a complete lease of life. You don't have to exercise to lose weight. This was like a complete mic drop for me last year. <laughs> I was like... <laughs> what I always thought and when I saw you I always thought exercise was to lose weight and to achieve a goal weight body Mm. exercise is all about the mental health and when you do it to make yourself happier oh my god it's like a release I did a spin class last night and I was not great on the bike there were some moves I was like I don't know what he I don't I don't physically know how to do that but just being alone in a dark room and sweating and like cycling, you can go at your own pace. I just felt this complete release of negativity. Mm. If you're prone to a wardrobe meltdown and that this is when you're getting ready and for some reason, none of your fucking clothes feel good. You start, and it's for me, it starts when something's not buttoning up mm-hmm. and I start being really mean to myself and it's a spiral that goes down and there's clothes all over the bedroom floor and you're looking around you're like oh my god you can't see a way to get out of the house my honest tip is have a backup outfit I have a pair of trousers that are a little bit too loose and those trousers and maybe a big t-shirt loads of jewelry and a full face of slap I will put on and just get out of the house that is life-changing advice just have your go-to outfit that you know is just going to make you feel better dress for what your body wants to wear not what your mind thinks it wants to wear Mm. put it on and leave leave the house leave all the clothes on the floor come back to it later tidy up and go again and just be kind to yourself something that I really love about you is that you do instill confidence in others which is a very rare trait and I wonder if someone's listening to this and they're thinking I want to have a go at something I want to chase my dream What is your first advice to someone in that position who's thinking, maybe I want to change my life like Jules did that day? It won't happen overnight. And there will be, you won't wake up and your life will have like completely changed. But you have to manifest and you have to think about what you want. In life, if something isn't making you happy, why are you doing it? Why are you in this job? I call it the sushi belt of life. So in life, imagine a sushi belt. (laughs) All right, I'm imagining one in front of us right now. Yes. you're a California roll and you get put on this belt and you are going around and you are the best goddamn California roll that you could ever have been and this happens a lot if you've moved to a city for a job if you've started something perhaps you started a job at 23 and now you're 28 and you don't necessarily want to do this job anymore Mm. 
that California roll has gone round and round and round, and all of a sudden you look, you look over and there's a big dragon roll there, and it's on a gold plate, and you're like, what the fuck happened here? I want to be a dragon roll. How have I ended up being this California roll? You need to change it up. Mm. You need to go for what you want. I don't know why, but some people just totally believe that you're going to get another life. Like, this is a dress rehearsal, and we're going to get to the end and be like, okay, I'm ready for the actual show now. Mm. No, this is the show. You're on it. So start living it. Think about what your end goal is. You can write it down on a piece of paper and work back from that end goal. So a common question I get asked is, I'm working in finance I really want to work in the beauty industry and I don't know how to move myself over so on a piece of paper you'd write beauty industry on one side finance on the other side and then you start working out your key skills because we've all got them it might be spreadsheets it might be emails it might be communication any of that and you just slowly start turning that dial do you reach out to people do you intern do you start bringing in new energy into your Mm. life start hanging out with friends who really love beauty and feed off them because they might tell you about somebody that Mm. you'd never heard of they might know someone it is a big ship to turn life is a big ship to turn and career changes changing your life starting something new is hard baby steps will make a difference i think it's also like not just looking for the doors look for the open windows or like the cracked windows and just kind of run at them like if little look for the cat flap if you need it (laughs) get on those knees and get through that cat flap go for it hun (laughs) so what is next for you you're here in australia for now but what's next so last year i wrote a book called get body posi you can download it for free from my instagram bio it is designed to make you feel better about yourself For me, I want to take that book off the pages. I'm training to be a life coach on the side. I am. That does not surprise me at all. And I really want to teach people how to love themselves and love their bodies. It feels, it just feels like a calling. And I'm doing the same like I did with spray tanning so many years ago. It feels good. So I'm just going to keep doing it and Mm. see where this takes me. I'm not aiming to be on stage on Netflix. Oprah. (laughs) I mean, listen, I think I'd be pretty good. I mean, you love Renee Brown, so you'll just overtake her. No, but I'm just doing what feels good. Mm. I'm just enjoying it. And also, there's lots of amazing products launching this year with Isle of Paradise that I'm not allowed to talk about, but I've been in the labs. The coat looks good and these products are amazing. (laughs) I love it. I can't wait to see it. Our final question for every episode is the same, which is what is success to you? Success is measured in so many different ways and success is not what somebody else does, it's what you do. Achievements could be anything. Making a cup of tea when you're feeling so down and you don't want to get out of bed, that's a form of success because you've achieved. Success isn't always a flip chart and a boardroom and a pinstripe suit. As much as it might be for some people, success is just living your dream, killing life, enjoying yourself and having fun along the way. I love that. Jules, thank you so much. This has been such an invigorating chat and I feel full of energy and I can't wait to go out and take on the world as I'm sure every other listener who is tuned into this will be. So thank you so much and enjoy your stay here in Australia. Thank you for having me. Thank you so much for listening to this In Conversation episode of Shameless with the dazzling Jules Von Hepp. If you want more from Jules, because we have every bet you now do, you can find him on Instagram at Jules Von Hepp and at Isle of Paradise. Also, check out his podcast, the Jules and Sarah podcast. As for us, well, Mish and I are independent podcasters who do this without the support of a network. So the best way to support us is to show us how you listen via your Instagram stories. Either take a screenshot of your podcast app and tell us your thoughts on the episode 
or show us how you listen, whether that be walking your dog, doing some baking or even procrastinating at work. That is all from us for now. We will be back in your ears on Monday with the wrap in the week that was in pop culture. Bye, guys. Hello guys, Mish here. I am the co-founder of Shameless Media. Thank you so much for giving us your ears and your mind and your time. We're so grateful. If you enjoy the stuff that we produce, may I recommend our brand new podcast, Style-ish. Style-ish if you want to say it quickly. Style-ish if you want to take the long way through. It is our podcast for all things fashion, brand, business and beauty. If that is in your wheelhouse. If you care about style content, you will love this show. It is, of course, more than just a show as well. It is a newsletter. It is an Instagram feed. It is a TikTok account. There is so much good stuff going out on Stylish every single day starting now. So in your favorite app, search for Style-ish. Give it a listen. Give it a follow. We are an independent media company and we would be so, so grateful for all your support. That's all for me, guys. Check out Stylish and have a good one.